So today we're in the last uh, sermon of our series, Supernatural, and I want to kind of walk you back through what we've done so far. So week one, um, we talked about invisible enemies. We said we live in a physical world, but that's not all there is. According to scripture, there is a spiritual world that is actually more important than what we're doing in the physical world. This, this life is going to end. There is a life after this that continues on in the spiritual realm. And we said, here was our key verse. We said our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against what? If it's not against flesh and blood, if, if, my, if my argument is not with you, then who is it with? The scripture tells us. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Where? In the heavenly realms. There is this battle going on we learned about, and it is extremely real. And, and so whether you believe it or not, whether your friends believe it or not, according to the scripture, according to God, according to Jesus Christ, according to all of the, the early church fathers, the disciples, the apostles, there is a spiritual battle going on, invisible war going on that impacts the visible. Second week, we talked about spiritual authority, supernatural authority that comes from God. And we talked about how when you are under God's authority, God doesn't give you his power. He gives you his authority. When you're under his authority, you don't have to fear the devil. You don't have to fear anything. Because what do they do? Even if they kill you, you get to go to heaven. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And so if you have that attitude, Satan can't do anything against you because you're under the authority of God. The only way he can mess with you is if one, your heavenly father allows him to mess with you like in the life of Job in the Old Testament or you take that window you know we're behind the window behind the authority you open that window and you say come on in Satan come on in and, and join my life be joined to me that's the only way he can have authority so what's the verse go ahead and put it up there the person without the spirit without what the Holy Spirit of God so someone who doesn't have the Spirit of God is not going to understand the things in the spiritual realm. They cannot. Here's what it says. Does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Holy Spirit of God. So we have this authority, and the only way that, that Satan can, can impact us is if we get out from underneath that authority. Week three. We talked about when Satan goes to church, and we talked about, y'all remember, I had Taylor up here on stage, and I had the little marionette costume, and had the, had the strings, and here's what happens. We give ourselves over to Satan whenever we allow him to influence us. He can't sin. I don't know where that went. He can't make us sin. He can make the mic go out. He can't make us sin. But he can tempt us, and when we choose to sin, it wraps a little cord around our hands. So let's say we take that little mouse and we go to this website. The first time we do that, that's a sin, you confess that sin. But if you start doing it over and over, it becomes a habit. And he wraps that cord around, and before you even know it, you're doing something out of habit because you're following the devil instead of following God. And maybe you go to this place, maybe you date this person, maybe you go these, these, the, hang out with these friends out of habit, not because you want to, but because that's the way you've always done it. And all of a sudden, Satan controls you because you've given him access into your life. Here's the scripture. Scripture is, the Spirit clearly says, now, the, the demonic uh, beings, they were kicked out of heaven. We looked at that in this, in this week. Satan was kicked out because he wanted the glory of God. God says, I will not give my glory to anyone. He kicks him out of heaven. One third of the angels go with him, and they oppose everything about God, including this church, including every church on the face of the planet that follows Jesus. They oppose those churches, and here's what it says. The Spirit, Holy Spirit, clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith, and look at this, and follow deceiving spirits. What kind of spirits? deceiving spirits that is that these are demons 
deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. The way that it was said when in the church that I grew up in is they will listen to doctrines taught by demons. And I always thought that's so crazy to me. But I think we're seeing it more and more in our world. People are being deceived by deceiving spirits and doctrines or teachings of demons. Now, last week, we spent the entire service focusing on the power that is available to you through worship. Satan wanted to be worshipped. He still wants to be worshipped. He can't stand it when we worship God. And that's why when you come in here and you worship him in spirit and in truth, he does not like it, so he has to leave. The problem, though, is so many of us don't worship in spirit and truth. We drag our demons in here that we've allowed to come with us. We're distracted. We don't see God. There's a spiritual war going on, and then we walk out no different than we walked in because we've allowed those deceiving spirits to cover our minds and our eyes, and we do not see the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, today I want to talk about angels. One-third of the the angels of heaven were cast out. I want to talk about the two-thirds of angels that did not rebel. They are still in heaven with God. And and we got to be honest today. If we're going to talk about angels, we have to admit that most people, maybe even people in here, you do not get your idea of angels from the scripture. You get it from everywhere else, like movies. Like there's this one movie, comes out every year at Christmas, and, and it's about this angel, and his name is Clarence. What movie am I talking about? It's a wonderful life. All right, some of y'all knew that. I was, I was worried about this crowd. The early crowd knew it. They've got some more gray heads in the early crowd, but y'all know this. Okay, good, good. So his name is Clarence, and you don't find that in the scripture, but he says this. He said, every time a bell rings, what happens? An angel gets its wings. That's a load of manure, right? I mean, that is not in the scripture, but some people think ding, 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 ding. Angels are created beings created by God. They don't get their their wings when you ding a bell. I mean, come on. But that's not all. We 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 sometimes we see a, a like a card or we maybe a cartoon and there's this fat little baby playing a harp on a cloud and it's called an angel. That's not an angel. That's a fat little baby playing a harp on a cloud. That's not an angel. <laughs> We get our ideas. Okay, I have never seen this movie because I thought it was the dumbest thing I ever heard of, but I saw on a sporting thing the other day, they were doing this, like the dugout, they were doing this. What's that movie? Angels in the outfield, like they give a rip about a baseball game. That's not in scripture. Okay, but, but we're, we're influenced by that. Or we're influenced, some of you are old enough to remember, touched by an angel, and we think that angels are brunettes with English accents. Right? That's not in the scripture. Some people believe that when a loved one dies, they become an angel in heaven. So they'll say, Grandma passed away, and now Grandma's watching over me. Okay, not only is that not true, it's actually kind of creepy, because if we're honest today, aren't there some some things you do you don't want Grandma watching? I mean, come on. People do not become angels. That's a different class of being, created being. And they don't become your guardians. According to the Bible, angels are servants of God. They were created by God and for God. And those servants, those those angels, those two-thirds of the angels who chose not to rebel, they do only what God tells them. They do what God tells them and only what God tells them to do. And you need to understand, these beings are so fierce that every time a human being was allowed to see them in in their state, their natural state, in in the spiritual realm, you know what the human beings did? They fell face down in fear. Some of them said we couldn't move. We were so afraid we were like dead men. 
And the first words out of the angel's mouth usually was, do not be afraid or fear not. Why? Because if you see one, you'll be scared to death. Angels have unbelievable power. An Old Testament story we'll talk about in just a second. One angel goes out and kills 185,000 Assyrian soldiers who had gathered around Israel. One angel, one night, dead bodies everywhere. But these angels, these beings are so awesome that they can also watch over a baby like Noah when he was put into the Nile River to protect him from being killed. The Bible indicates these spiritual warriors are all around us. We don't even know it. Uh, they're around us today. They're here. We don't even know it. And if that doesn't blow your mind, the Bible says that these angelic warriors, these incredible beings, can even appear as, as humans and we don't know it. I'll give you an example. Genesis chapter 18. Three men are walking along near Abram's tent. He's not named Abraham yet. He hadn't been changed yet. But they're walking along. One of them is called the angel of the Lord, but Abram doesn't have any idea who it is. Abram sees them walking along. He's, he's out near his tent, and he says to them, hey, you want to have some lunch? Because in those days, actually, this still, it's still alive in Israel, but in those days, it was a huge law. It was actually called the law of hospitality, which said if someone is walking along, a stranger is walking along, and, and especially like, like Abram, he's following around, his, he's a shepherd, he's following around his sheep, taking them to pasture and where there's water. They're walking along in a dangerous place with no water, nothing to eat, and so the law of hospitality Hospitality said, you are required to take a stranger in, give them a place to rest, give them some water, give them something to eat. So he hollers in, hey, Sarah, got some visitors, make some bread. And then he goes and he takes this, the, one of the animals, he kills it, because he says, I'm going to feed you something. And so you think about how long this takes. Not only does he have to go pick out the animal, he has to kill it. He has to drain its blood. He has to skin it. He has to fillet it or whatever else he's doing and then come back and cook it. This whole time these strangers are there, that's the law of hospitality. And the whole time this is going on, Abram has no idea that these are angelic beings in his midst until finally the angel of the Lord says, shall I hide from Abram what I'm about to do in Sodom and Gomorrah? And so he tells him, I'm about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. They have this long conversation. Then in Genesis chapter 19, two of the angelic beings, not the angel of the Lord, but the other two that were with him, go and spend the night with Lot. And Lot has no idea. He's doing the hospitality thing. He found him in the square. He said, don't sleep in the square. Come to my house. And so they go to his house, and he has no idea they're angelic beings until the men outside the door are banging on the door, and they said, let, let those men who came to you, let us have sexual relations with them. And the angelic being said, I think not, strikes them blind, and then all of a sudden, Lot's like, oh, these guys are powerful. These are not human beings. But they had no idea until God allowed them to understand. Now, if that blows your mind that these warriors can appear as humans in the New Testament and the Old Testament, <laughs> still happens today. Hebrews 13, 2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Say, what? Be very careful, because you do not know whether that person is an angel appearing as a person. You've heard stories. We're not going to go into that. So what are angels? Let's talk about this today. Angels are worshipers. First thing on your list, God, they are worshipers. And then I need to say this, second thing. They never, say never, they never accept worship. And this is how you can know the difference. If some... If some being other than Jesus Christ, other than God the Father, wants you to worship them, that is not the Holy Spirit. That is not, um, that is not an angel because they will, they will fight against that. They'll say, oh, no, I'm just a created being like you. 
The Bible says, test the spirits. And here's where it comes from, 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but do what? Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. 2,000 years ago, when John wrote these words, the Antichrist was already in the world, which means he's still here and he's still extremely active. I believe more active, especially in the United States, because I think the United States is beginning to resemble Sodom and Gomorrah. So look what it says in Hebrews 1.6. Anytime you find God or Jesus, you'll find angels worshiping. It says this. And when he, God, brought his supreme son into the world, God said, let all of the angels do what? Worship him. It's a command. The angelic beings will worship. So that's what they do. Look at Revelation 5, 11, and 12. Then I looked, John is writing this too. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, I like this, and 10,000 times 10,000. There's a whole bunch of angelic beings. What are they doing? They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Whenever you have a group, whether it's angelic beings or you have a a bunch of people and they are crying out, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and honor and wisdom and strength and glory and praise. What are they doing? Worshiping. Anytime you find God the Father, anytime you find God the Son, you find angels worshiping in the presence of God. That's who they are. That's what they do. Second, angels are warriors. I'm not going to read it again, but we read it two different times. Um, the, the passage in Daniel chapter 10, when Daniel was trying to figure out what this vision uh, was from God, and an angelic being came to give him the answer. He fasted and prayed for 21 days. The angel said, I came to give you the answer 21 days ago, but the prince of Babylon, a demonic being, battled against me. So we know they're warriors. Here's another one in First Chron- Chronicles 21. Now, in this situation, what's going on? is David, is King David, and he was told repeatedly, all the kings were told this, but he was told, don't count the fighting men in your army. And what do you think David did in 1 Chronicles 21? He counted the fighting men in his army. And here's what happens. Joab, the army commander, Joab is as spiritual as a rock. This dude's kind of a nutcase. And he says, oh, king, do not count them. You know, why would you make God mad? So when, you're, when, when one of your friends who's as spiritual as a rock says, I don't think you, this is from God, maybe there's a sign when everybody else is saying this, and even your spiritual friend or your non-spiritual friend is saying this isn't from God, maybe you should pay attention, maybe it's isn't from God. David says, ah, we're going to count them because he got proud. And it, the Bible says the anger of the Lord burned against King David. So God calls the prophet Gad and he says, go to David and give him three options because you have dishonored me. The reason it was such a big deal, David's king. Everybody knew God made David king. And David dishonored king. The leader dishonored God as king. And God will not share his glory with anyone. So God says, I am going to punish you severely. You get to choose the punishment. You get three years of famine. Three months of the enemy ravaging your people with the sword or three days of the angel of the Lord with his sword pulled out, destroying your people because you dishonored me in the, in the presence of these people, in the sight of these people. David said, well, I'm going to take the Lord. I'll, t- I'll, have this, I'll take the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn. He can go for three days. I'm just going to trust God. 70,000 Israelites lost their lives that day. 
because David had sinned so grievously in the sight of God. And so then David walks out. He's told to go out to the threshing floor of a guy named Aruna. Aruna, I love the story. I don't have time to tell you all of it, but Aruna's threshing wheat, which is what you expect. His sons see the angel of the Lord or hear the, all the commotion. They run away and hide. Aruna just keeps on threshing wheat. I think he looked up and goes, oh, there's the angel of the Lord. Just kept on doing what he's doing. And David sees, all of a sudden, for the first time in this whole process, David sees the angel of the Lord suspended between heaven and earth with his sword drawn. He knows 70,000 people have already lost their lives. And the angel is about to destroy Jerusalem. And the Bible says God has compassion on his people. And, and this is a great story. It's where eventually... Um, it, it's the same place where, where Abraham offered Isaac, and it's where Solomon was going to build his temple, this, this place. David buys the place and he worships. But right before that, here's what God says to the angel. Enough. Withdraw your hand. And what do you think the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn, what do you think he did when God said, that's enough? He obeyed. Incredible warriors. I, read, I, I, read, I mentioned this earlier, 2 Kings 19.35. What's going on is King Hezekiah has disobeyed God. There's a theme. And God was disciplining them. He allowed the Assyrian army just to run over all of Israel. And now they're surrounding Jerusalem, the capital, the city of David, the, the place where God's temple was. And, and they're, they're surrounding this area. And then Hezekiah goes and he prays before God. And he says, God, these people are too much for us. Please, God, have mercy on us. And God always has mercy on humble people. And God says to him, these people will not enter here. These people, the king will go back the way he came. It's incredible. You read the whole story. Everything God says is going to happen. And so there's this massive army is surrounding them. And look what happens. 2 Kings 19.35. That night, the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were, there were all the dead bodies. It says in the King James, it says, behold, there were all the dead bodies. I mean, it's like they're, they're just laying 185,000. Imagine that's like Tyler and Palestine and all these little, everybody dead. That's how powerful an angel is. The warrior angel is. Revelation 12, 7 says, then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, that's the devil, and the dragon and his angels fought back. Remember, one-third of the angels were cast down. They're demons. They're on the side of, of the, the devil. And in this situation, Michael and his angels are going to fight against him. Now, they're worshipers, they're warriors, and the third thing is angels are messengers. In the Old Testament, the book of Judges, I just love the book of Judges, because of what God does, not because of what Israel did. The Bible says that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. They, they just made up their own rules, and, and God allowed them to be plundered. And so then when they would cry out, it would get bad enough, they'd cry out to God, God would send a judge. In this case, he sends Gideon. Now, you need to understand, Gideon's hiding because he's afraid of the, the Midianites are going to come steal his lunch money. I mean, that's basically what's going on. So they would come and they would raid. They would take all of the food. And so Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Why? Because if he was in the threshing floor, the Midianites would come steal his lunch money. But he's hiding in a wine press because they'll never think to look there. And so he's hiding out threshing wheat. And look what happens. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Two messages the angel of the Lord had for him. Number one, the Lord is with you. Now, they had a discussion about that, and he convinces him, yeah, the Lord's with you. And then it was, you're a mighty warrior. He's hiding. He says, I'm the least, of, my tribe is the least of the tribe of, Israel, of the 12 tribes of Israel, and I'm the least of my tribe. He's, uh -huh, I'm not a mighty warrior. God's like, yeah, I know, I'm about to, I'm about to turn you into something. He had a message for him. And by the time it's all done, Gideon goes with 300 people 
And, and all they do is they, they take these little lanterns, they, they, they break them open so there's this light. They're around this massive. They said there were so many people out there. It's like the sands of the seashore. And there's around 300 people around. They, they break the lantern open. It comes open. They say, for the Lord and for Gideon. And God routs the army while, while Gideon's standing there, mighty warrior. God got the glory for that. Then look what happens. Here's the a, here's a messenger you know about, especially this time of year. You know this from Luke chapter 1. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. Incredible story we're about to study in, in the month of December. Now, let me stop here and let me read you two verses from Hebrews chapter 1. Go ahead. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets and at many times and in various ways, but look at this, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. You need to be very careful saying an angel told me to do something. In the Old Testament, that happened, but, but now it says in these latter days, God speaks to us through his son. You need to compare everything you dream, everything, every vision you think you have needs to be compared to scripture. Because if somebody comes to me and says, an angel showed up, I'm like, whoa, because I had some Mormons standing at my front door saying, the angel Moroni said, well, that sounds like Clarence, okay? I'm sorry, that, that reminds me of Clarence, because if you go search the scriptures, there is not a Moroni angel in there. And the Bible says, if anyone, even an angel comes and preaches to you, someone other than the Jesus we've preached let them be accursed so be very careful that you compare any vision you have or any angelic message you have or any dream that you have it needs to be fed through scripture because in the last days God has spoken to us through his son and if anyone gives you any message other than what we've preached about Jesus Christ you need to run from it and let them be accursed now what do angels do they're messengers and what do they do for me? Now, I changed this, and, and I didn't have time to reprint this. So I want you to scratch out number one, and, and it should say, Angels Direct Me. It had um, God's plans. Just scribe, scratch out God's plans and put me. And, and let me explain this. So we already read about Mary and Joseph, or Mary. Here's what happens. Mary finds out she's pregnant. She runs to Joseph, and she goes, Guess what, Joseph? I'm going to be a mama. And Joseph's like, Well, I wasn't there. You know, I mean... How does this happen? And so he's assuming that she has had relations with another man because isn't that what you assume, right? And she goes, no, no, best news. I've been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And he's like, I'm going to write her a certificate of divorce, right? You know, and because he's an honorable man, he's going to dismiss her quietly. He's going to divorce her quietly because he knew that she would be marked. She would have that big D mark. And, and that's when you're divorced, she, could, she would not be worthy to marry anybody else. So he's going he's gonna to divorce her and, and do this quietly so he doesn't dishonor her name. And then look what happens. Luke one twenty, After he had considered this, divorcing her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Okay. And God changed the world through this, through this whole thing. Now, one of my favorite stories about um, angels directing us is in the Old Testament, and it's in um, Numbers chapter 22, and I need to tell you what's going on here. Okay, so, so I'm going to give you just a little bit of, of Israel. So here's the Sea of Galilee. The Jordan River flows out of the Sea of Galilee down to the Dead Sea. Everybody with me? The promised land was everything on the left side of the Jordan River, 
And so what's happening in, in um, Numbers chapter 22 is Israel is coming around the right side of the, of the Dead Sea, so they're not in the promised land yet. They're in the land of Moab. Moab, the king of Moab, had heard everything that God did, opening up the Red Sea, killing all of Pharaoh's army. They had had other battles, and God's people who were slaves and farmers are just kicking tail in the name of God. And so he's like, I got to do something. I don't want these people around. So he's, he hires a prophet who's named Balaam, and he actually is a prophet of God, but he's a sleazy prophet of God, and you'll see what I'm talking about in just a minute. So he sends these dignitaries to Balaam with money, and he says, hey, I want to hire you to curse God's people. Balaam prays, and God says, don't you dare curse my people. So Balaam goes back and says, mm, sorry, God says no. So the, the king of Moab then sends more dignified people and more stuff, and, and because Balaam, man, he, was, he just had dollar signs. That's what made him sleazy. He, did, he used his gift from God to make money, and that was detestable in the eyes of God. So the next time he's like, oh, this is a lot of money. These are important people. And so he prays and God says, I'm, I'm going to let you go, but I'm, I'm ticked, right? So the next day, here's where we are in um, Numbers 22, 21. The next day, Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the Moabite officials. Now, if you're looking for a, for a juicy story, this starts off really slow, but it's about to get good in a hurry. <laughs> um, so... God is angry that he even wants to go, that, that, that he, you know, said, don't, don't curse my, my children, Israel. God's just ticked at him. So what God does is he sends the angel of the Lord, and look what happens. Verse 23, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with, with a drawn sword in his hand, who saw the angel of the Lord? And what did the angel have in his hand? A drawn sword. What do you do with a drawn sword? It's not just go, hey, look at this. I'm about to use it. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned into a field. Pretty smart donkey. I ain't messing with that. The donkey sees the angelic being with a sword drawn. Mm -mm, going over here, look what Balaam does. Balaam beat the donkey to get it back on the road. Bad donkey, bad donkey, bad donkey, get on the road. Who saw the angel of the Lord? Who did not see the angel of the Lord? All right, remember that. Balaam gets the donkey back on the path, verse 24. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path through the vineyards with walls on both sides. <laughs> when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, who saw the angel of the Lord? Be as smart as a donkey. Okay, just, when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot. But Balaam didn't see the angel of the Lord, and so what does Balaam do? He beat the donkey a second time. Third time, the angel of the Lord shows up. And in this case, it says that the angel Lord positioned himself with his sword drawn where you couldn't go to the right or to the left. And I'm, I'm feeling bad for the donkey because the donkey's like, if I go in the field, I get beat. If I crush my, my master's foot, I get beat. So the donkey lays down in front of the, the angel of the Lord. And guess what Balaam, smart Balaam, guess what he does? He beats the donkey. <laughs> so, evidently God felt sorry for the donkey. Because he does something that's really, really cool. He opens up the donkey's mouth and lets him speak. And I'm, I'm not making this up. Read this with me. Then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to make you beat me these three times? And there's no indication that Balaam goes, You can talk. Idiot has a conversation with his donkey. Balaam answered the donkey. You have made a fool of me, and I wish the donkey would go, Oh, no, my master, you did that all by yourself. I wish. That, that's not in there. 
If only I'd had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. Now, who in the story actually had a sword in his hand? Angel of the Lord. And so they have this conversation, and, and the donkey says to him, have I ever acted like this, my master? <laughs> Balaam's like, no. Then why did you beat me? Because you made a fool of me. And then God opens the eyes of Balaam, and he sees the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord says, had, you taken, had your donkey taken another step, I would have killed you where you stood. You know what Balaam did? On his face. You think Balaam ever, ever wanted to go anywhere without God's permission again? And so he ends up blessing Israel instead of cursing Israel. Have you ever been so hell-bent on doing something that no matter how many roadblocks you ran into, you kept doing it? Everybody says, don't do it. Even your donkey says, don't do it. And you just keep on doing it. Are you like that? Maybe. I'm not saying this is the case. I'm saying maybe an angel of the Lord is trying to direct you off of this stupidity path onto the narrow path that leads to God. And maybe you should listen. Because there is a time, I just read this this morning in my quiet time, there is a time when God's patience runs out. Patience runs out. And it says, seek the Lord while he may be found, which implies there's going to be a time he may not be found, and it may be too late for you. There is a sin that leads to death. And the scripture doesn't tell us which sin, because it may be, it's different for each of us. There is a sin for you, and there's a sin for me that leads to death. Pray that you listen to the donkey and get off of that path. So angels direct us. Second thing is angels protect us. Now, the Bible doesn't come out and say that we all have a guardian angel. Um, there's nothing that definitive, but we do have some hints. Um, and let me read you just a couple of, of passages. Psalm 91, 11 and 12 says this, For he, God, will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. Now, this is actually the, t the, the scripture that Satan tempts Jesus with when he takes him to the highest point of the temple and he says, Throw yourself off of here because it is written, Satan quotes scripture, it is written, guard will, uh, God will give his angels command concerning you. But he leaves out this little phrase to guard you in all your ways. This little phrase means in your ordinary living and daily lives. Right? So, so you can, as you're following God, as you're seeking God, he's going to protect you. Now, you go up on a cliff and someone says, I dare you to jump off that thousand-foot cliff and see if you live. You can jump off and you can hasten your day of meeting Jesus, right? Because you're stupid. Ah, save me, Jesus. He's not required to do that. The Scripture says, and, and this is what Satan left out, God will, God will protect you, Jesus, to guard you in your normal, everyday walking with God life. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So there's indications that, that angels protect us. Look at Acts 12, 7, and 8, and 11. This is awesome. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. So Peter was in prison. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches. Several weeks ago, I got a call, and, and uh, Matt Denning, who's sitting at the back, um, had, a, uh, had a stroke. And um, 
Matt doesn't remember leaving Palestine to drive to Athens to work. He had a stroke sometime in that whole process. And, and so um, what happened is he, 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 Laurel's calling him on the phone, and when he answers, he can't speak um, because it's, it, the stroke is happening. And, and when I saw him, you know, his, his right side was, was paralyzed. But all of this is going on while he's driving to Athens. And when he gets to Athens, he gets to work. He actually gets to work in his work truck, and the only thing that's damaged is the, the side mirror. And they think that happened when he actually came into the, uh, the parking lot of where he worked. They, so all, uh, all this going on, they get him to, to um, UT Health Center, which is what the, that hospital in, in Athens is now. They were prepared. The stroke team was prepared when he got there. They took care of him. They gave him the medicine. They got him over to Tyler, and the stroke team and Tyler at UT Health Center was ready. When I went in to meet him, this was a couple of weeks um, after, Afterwards, I go to rehab, and, I, and I'm expecting, I've, I've seen stroke victims before, I'm expecting something pretty bad. I walk in, and Matt is sitting there, and Matt stands up, and so I'm just going, holy cow, and he hugs me, and then his, his right arm was, was paralyzed or, or partially paralyzed, and one of the coolest things ever, he, he, it takes him a few seconds, and he reaches out, and he shakes my hand, and I'm just going, I said, Matt, do you realize there, were, there was an angel watching over you? Do you realize that God has a plan for your life? Because as Laurel began to tell me the whole story, he should have died. She was expecting him to be on the side of the road somewhere wrecked. And so she was prepared to drive to Athens, looking on the sides of the road. And I, I was just amazed. Okay, so Matt's been here three weeks in a row. He's on the back now. Today he comes in and his speech is improved and, and everything. I mean, I'm just, I'm amazed. And you can say, you can say whatever you want to say. Oh, that's coincidence. Um, some of, the, some of the, the medical professionals said, oh, that's your body just kicking in. Whatever. There was an angel watching over Matt that day. A few weeks ago, Janie and I were going to, to Dallas and um, we were going up to see Han. And uh, we're driving somewhere on Athens, on 175, uh, North Athens, in between Athens and Kaufman. And we were coming to a place where there was a lot of construction. And, and there were, we were in the passing lane, and there was an 18-wheeler over here. And you need to understand, I'm very sensitive to 18-wheelers because an 18-wheeler ran my parents off the road and killed my parents and my sister um, six years ago. So I'm, I'm very, I pay attention whenever I'm near trucks. And when they swerve, I'm like, I'm either going to slow down or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look for an opportunity to get around them as quickly as I can because um, they, they ran my parents off off the road, wrapped him around a, a telephone pole. My parents and my sister died on the same day. So I always think about that stuff when I'm passing. And we start to pass this guy. There is no room. The, the little, you know, those, those concrete barriers are on this side. And, and about halfway up, this guy, no signal or anything, just starts coming over. Janie and I are listening to Christian music. We're talking. We're having a great time. And I don't know how, but I, I saw him come over, and I slowed down. And there was not room to get off. I, to this day, I don't know how he didn't run over us. We were at the back of his trailer, so we would have gone under wheels. Would have, we would have just been a flat spot on the road. I do not know how we survived that. Now, my first instinct was not godly. I was going to kill the man. And so I sped up next to him. Anyway, I slowed down, and, I, and I, I got myself under control. And then I looked at Janie, and I said, God was watching out for us. You can say whatever you want to. You'll never convince me that God didn't protect us because there's no way. We didn't have any place to go. So how did, how did, how did that trucker miss us I don't know and then for the night before Rachel and Matt got married Han was driving home on 175 maybe we should, we should avoid 175 she's right outside of Athens and her hood flies up on her car all right now it didn't come unlatched 
the little latch assembly that's, that's attached to the body came with it. The reason I know this is because when, it, when the, the hood folds up on top and smashes the windshield, you can't see out of the windshield. Glass falls in her lap. She's driving 70 miles an hour, probably faster. <clears throat> she manages to get over to the side of the road. She doesn't hit anybody else. No one hits her. Grace of God. And, and then by the grace of God, by the time we get it, get the car towed and Jeff had gotten over and picked her up, got her to the rehearsal. And so she makes it to the rehearsal halfway through and walks up. And I just was like, oh dear, do you know that God was watching out for you today? Because they actually totaled the car. When we, when we turned it into insurance, they totaled it. Grace of God. You can say whatever you want to say. I believe angels watched over Matt. I believe angels watched over and protected me and Janie. And, I, and I'm convinced angels protected him. And all she got was a, a messed up car. So angels direct us, they protect us, and then the third thing is they minister to us. Hebrews 1.6 says this, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So the scripture just says, All angels minister to people who are going to be saved, either are saved or going to be saved. Jesus, after he fasted for 40 days, at the beginning of his ministry, Satan comes to tempt him. And every time he pulls out the sword of the Spirit and he defeats him, it is written, it is written, it is written. And the last time he actually, because Satan says, bow down and worship me and I'll give you everything. You can have all the kingdoms of the earth without ever going to the cross. And Jesus says, be gone, Satan, for it is written. You should worship the Lord and serve him only. And so Satan leaves and look what happens in Matthew 4:11. Then the devil departed from him and behold, angels came and did what? Ministered to him after this time of victory after this time of, of being attacked. And this word ministered is a really cool Greek word. It's the word diakonau, and it means, here's the translation, to be an attendant, to act as a go-between, to wait upon, to minister to as unto a friend. The angels came and waited upon Jesus and strengthened him. Wow. When Jesus was at the <clears throat> Garden of Gethsemane praying drops of blood, he prayed out and he said, God, if there's any way, if there is another way, show me that way. And immediately after he prayed that, look what happens in Luke twenty two forty three: An angel from heaven appeared to him and did what? Strengthened him. Angels could strengthen you now, but they won't do it if you're proud. God opposes proud people. He gives grace to the humble. Maybe you want to do something for God and you don't know how it's going to happen and you just you bow before God and you ask him and he may send, he might just send an angel to strengthen you, to minister to you. Some of you, you're having marriage trouble and you don't know how it's going to work out and you, you bow before God and you say, God, I need you. And God may send an angel to strengthen you. You may be struggling with a temptation. You think, I just can't stand up against this and you bow before God and God may send an angel to strengthen you. Some of you are just exhausted physically, spiritually, emotionally, and you just need to bow before God and ask him to minister to you. I can tell you without a doubt, I know God ministered to me. He sent angels to minister to me this last year. Um, we've been through a lot in our family, and, and without the grace of God, without some people praying serious prayers over us and for us, we, we wouldn't even still be in the ministry at this point. God sends his angels to minister and to strengthen you. And I don't know exactly how it happens. I don't know why he does some people and sometimes and some others. But here's what I do know. There's a spiritual world 
that is just as real and more important than the physical world. And what's happening in the spiritual world impacts the physical world. And God has given us weapons that are not of this physical world. The Bible says they're divine for the demolishing of strongholds. God has given us the helmet of salvation to protect our minds. God has given us the breastplate of righteousness to, to protect our heart, which is the seat, center of our emotions. Um, Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart because everything you do flows from it. What you say, think, and do flows from your heart. So he gives us this breastplate of righteousness. He gives us the, the belt of truth. He gives us these, these gospel of peace sandals. And then he gives us the sword of the spirit and the shield of faith. And then he says, stand firm. He never tells you to resist temptation. You're supposed to run from temptation. He says, resist the devil, though, and he will flee from you. God doesn't give you his power. He gives you his authority. And when we put that on, the Bible says, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. You don't have to give in right now. But if you try to stand up in your own power, God says, okay, go ahead. Last year, we were at this conference and because of what we were going through at the time I was I was I was incredibly distraught I didn't preach for over a month because I, I told the men's bible study I said I got nothing left I can't I can't lead bible study I can't preach Casey preached for the whole month of October last year and we went to this conference and and I go every year to this conference and uh, I don't even remember who it was but one of the ministers said if you are at the end if you got nothing left I want you to stand up. And so there's about 4,500 people in this auditorium, and, and I didn't wait. You know, I didn't care. I just stood up and, and, and just kind of wept in front of the Lord. And then the guy said, if someone is standing up near you, I want you to go and I want you to lay hands on them and I want you to pray over them. And people I'd never met, no idea, came up and they put their hands on me and they prayed and there were tears being shed. And just as I was standing there, I felt ministered to and so this year one year later we're at the same conference and and i remember we were sitting on the side and and it was a different speaker but this speaker said somebody is really struggling they're ready to give up right now and they said if, if that's you i want you to stand up so this man stood up behind me and, and the guy said this coolest thing he said prayer is not a spectator sport he said, I want, I want some of you to go. He said, I want everybody that's standing to have somebody next to them. So I, I didn't hesitate. I walked back there. I put my arm around this guy. No, to this day, I don't know his name. And I stood there, and I wept, and I prayed over him. When, we, when the guy said amen, he turned. He said, thank you. Some of you today are overwhelmed, and you need a supernatural touch from God. If you need a supernatural touch from God, we don't do this very often, but I'm going to ask you to stand up right where you are. You're like, I'm at the end. If God doesn't do something, I need a miracle. Thank you, Miss Louise. Somebody up. There's more than that. Matt. Laurel and Cameron. You know what's coming next. This prayer is not a spectator sport. So I'm going to ask you. I'm going to say the prayer out loud, but I'm going to ask you. If someone's standing near you, I want you to go and I want you to put your hand on them just as a symbol that you are with them. You're a brother or sister in Christ, and you want to help them bear this burden.
Real briefly, before you start praying, I want you to look around this worship center. This is the church. This is church. I'll give you a few seconds to pray. You don't, you don't have to know the situation. We know a God who knows the situation. And then I'll voice a prayer and we'll be dismissed. Father, I want to declare today, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wisdom and riches and honor and blessing. Who for whatever reason has chosen to to allow us to be adopted into his family and to have your authority, God, we praise you for this. And now, God, you know every person who stood today who said, I am at the end. I don't know what to do next. And you said, your, your half-brother wrote, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And you, God, your promise to us is you will grant us wisdom. I pray for wisdom, grace, strength, understanding. There are physical needs, there are spiritual needs, there are emotional needs, there's relational needs represented in this room, God. And you're bigger than all of them. And we ask you, God, to destroy the works of Satan in these people's lives and send ministering angels, send warring angels to surround them. And we pray this through the blood of Jesus Christ. We ask you to cover us, to sprinkle us, to cover us with your sacrifice and to give us your authority to stand firm. Where does our help come from? The word says our help comes from the Lord. We're depending on you, God, and we look forward to the answers that you're going to to give. We look forward to the testimony of people pointing to our great and mighty God. If, an, if the angel of the Lord can destroy 185,000 people in one night, then, then God, you, you can do anything. You spoke the, word into, the world into existence, and now we ask you to speak healing and encouragement into these people's lives. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.